We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to a special edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast, an NBA playoffs edition. I guess we haven't haven't gotten together in a few weeks, at least to talk hoops. But Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. We were both at the NBA Draft Combine in Chicago the last two days as we record this on a Saturday afternoon. So we were there Thursday and Friday, taking a look at a lot of the prospects working out there. Uh, got to look at a lot of the five on five. Got to talk to quite a few guys. So. You know, we'll try to go through and you know give our general observations, what we liked, what we didn't like from guys, um, and you know just kind of a, a general update of of what went on. But both of us had never been to the combine before. I know I, I went in not really sure what to expect. I think I was surprised most by just the sheer number of basketball minds. I guess is one way to to group them that were in the house. I mean, you, know, you and I have both been to summer league out in Vegas, and you see a lot of people, you see a lot of players, you see coaches, but they were never together like they were at this. And, you know, this was held at, at Quest Multisport. And it was kind of a general sports facility, I guess. You know, most people have been to something like that, like a venue that would basically host an AAU tournament. Um, and, you know, one big gym set up. You know, you probably saw the coverage on ESPN or NBA TV. And, I mean, everyone, it seemed like, was there. You know, even Bob Myers from Golden State, a team that's obviously still alive in the playoffs. Um, you know, a lot of coaches who, who had been eliminated or teams have been eliminated at this point. But I mean, were you surprised at, at just how many people were there? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't, I, I don't know. I didn't really have any expectations as to who all was going to be there. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, all the general managers seem to be there. All of, like you said, like all the big name head coaches that weren't in the playoffs anymore, uh, 
college a lot of college coaches were there you know we were sitting really close to like Roy Williams and uh you know lot lots of other Fran McCaffrey made an appearance that, I mean Matt Painter yep. Tubby Smith just uh, a who's who there were there were a lot of <laughs> uh, there were a lot of coaches of you know watching their players who could possibly declare or could possibly head back to school uh you know I was just kind of sort of in awe of of being you know the first day I think we were 10 feet away from Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge on our right. And we were like six feet away from uh, Rick Carlisle on our left. And, uh, you know, I, it's not that I was necessarily surprised to see them there. I guess I was just sort of surprised as to how kind of close everybody was and like how, you know, I, I was Rick Carlisle came up and talked to a guy I was sitting next to for 10 minutes one day. And so I was just right next to Rick Carlisle for, for 10 minutes, which mm-hmm. is kind of neat. I mean, it was, it was definitely a really cool experience. I think I said to you, I wish we would have brought some sort of like high tech listening device to like hear all. Cause we see all these guys, you know, they don't know us. Obviously, you know, they're going up and you know Zach Lowe, guys like that, yeah. Howard Becker around. They're they're talking to everybody and everybody's shaking hands. And we were kind of on the outside of that, and you know, as, as most journalists are. I think the the number one. Well, there were two conversations that I saw take place. Both happened the second day that I would have really liked to. I hope I know have, where you're going. With have, this. have gotten ears in on, and and the first one uh, was Stan Van Gundy and and Tom Thibodeau uh, chatting it up. They were well away from everybody else. You know, there was kind of this practice court behind the court that uh, the scrimmages were taking place on, and they were kind of out of earshot of everybody, and you know, just kind of you know having having some laughs, probably talking about some legitimate stuff as well. Both of those guys now with uh, basketball power and, and two of the up-and-coming franchises in the league. I would have loved to kind of hear some of the stuff they were talking about. And then, you know, a, a real meeting of the minds with uh, <laughs> Kurt Rambis and Vladdy Divac talking un- underneath one of the baskets oh, one day. Uh, you might have thought I was going to talk about Larry Bird and Danny Ainge talking, but no, I mean, I think, I think I'd think i love to hear exactly what Rambis and, and Divac were talking about. We're talking entertainment talking about. value. Yeah. Like, we were joking, like, is, is Kurt Rambis even, like, he's technically the coach <laughs> of the Knicks right now, right? Like, we He's just going to keep coaching until they tell him not to. He's going to keep going to stuff like this. Yeah, he's. It's like an office space where you just kind of keep showing up, right? And uh, they have to basically force you out. I think <laughs> it was just sort of funny to sort of see him there. Like, it, they don't have a pick in the the first round. I mean, that he mm-hmm. probably probably has. Even if he were to retain that job, can't imagine he has any say whatsoever no. in like who they pick like literally zero say i would imagine and phil jackson of course the one that would have the the final call nowhere to be seen i'm not even nope. sure if he knew it was going on no i don't i don't think so i think he probably turned on nba tv <laughs> like, what is this he doesn't watch oh, nba oh tv no that's yeah that's probably true but <laughs> no i mean i think those those two conversations were the two that we definitely are the ones that i had in mind for sure is like i really really wish i could hear especially the stan van one the great thing was like he wasn't there thursday and we had joked what a half hour before he showed up friday like man i wonder where stan van is and he came in and made just like this glorious lap around the entire yeah. gym like the slowest possible yeah. walk of all time just wearing also the largest plain gray polo i've ever seen in my entire life and yeah i mean all eyes were, were fixated on him he's it, there's definitely kind of a trend where the kind of the bigger name you are the most sort of secure in your job you are the uh more casual you were dressed <laughs> i would say uh you know you had a lot of kind of sort of movers and shakers like agents and you know people working in the at the combine in some capacity like lower level front office types that were really kind of dressed up and 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 definitely put a lot of effort into what they were wearing and then you had you know rick carlisle wearing a hat and he was actually wearing a bulls pullover the second day probably just like found it laying around uh he was sitting close to the bulls the bull yeah. little contingent, which was funny yeah. because Tibbs, Tibbs was like the, the, the social light of yeah. all this. It seemed like you know, he was, was sitting, he's sitting sideline and everybody, you know, kind of has to walk by that mm-hmm. area to go from the media room back to the gym. And I mean, it seemed like every five seconds he was getting tapped on the shoulder and sharing a laugh. I don't think there was like, yeah, I, I think he was laughing right. for the majority of the time. Yeah. I don't know how he just breathed during that time. There was just so much laughter coming from that area. And then you look like eight or nine seats to the left is Hoiberg, Gar Foreman, um, and some other some other unidentified Bulls uh, front office executive that we were unable to to put a face to. Yeah, it, Gar Foreman. I, don't get me started, but he <laughs> he's he would have been the last guy I would have wanted to talk to. Uh, that, he was he was one of the guys in a suit. 
He he looked like some sort of macabre villain from some he really sort does. of like eighties eighties movie. But um, yeah, let's get to let's get to stuff yeah. Let's, that let's actually get matters. down to it. I mean, we should mention while we're on the topic of dress code, the Larry Bird was wearing we can confirm a Hawaiian shirt on Thursday. So that definitely backs up what you said as far as the the clout that you hold somehow has an inverse Look, relationship to the type of clothing you wear. If I'm Larry Bird or Rick Carlisle, like I'm putting comfort first right. in terms of what I'm wearing, no matter where I am, really. I mean, I might go to a steakhouse and wear that Hawaiian shirt if I'm Larry Bird because nobody's going to tell me that I can't. Who's wearing the wind pants outfit? Uh, oh, well, um, what's the NC State coat? Uh, oh, Godfrey? Mike, Mike Godfrey. Godfrey. Yes. He was, was wearing like... He was wearing cl- wind pants that didn't match. They looked like, like jeans. Like, like they were like they were navy jeans. blue, navy blue wind pants with like a black and red wind shirt, and then a leather like a uh, brown leather backpack. Like it was just <laughs> like the, a hobo backpack. Really kind of like he did look sort of like a, a, a outfit that a homeless person might. It wasn't together. even windy like at all. I mean, there was no wind in the gym. There was yeah. a little bit of a breeze from the fans, but I mean, it, it wasn't like he was at some sort of competitive advantage wearing yeah. all this wind resistant. John, John Hollinger and Rick Carlisle were the two guys wearing <laughs> hats, uh, which kind of Hollinger tells was you. decked out in Grizzlies gear. Like there was no right. mistake where he was right. where he was affiliated. Yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, let's actually talk about the players uh, now that we get done just name dropping all the people that we pretended we wish we would have talked to. Um, I guess you know were you were you more interested in watching the five on five or or kind of talking with the guys? You know, we were able to do a nice mix of both. I think you did a little more with the five on five on Thursday. Like, did you find that that was more valuable than you maybe expected it to be? No, I think going in, I expected the five on five to be what I sort of got the most out of, and that definitely was the case. I mean, I I like talking to the guys, but you know, you're not really getting any kind of great insight into anything. I, I think. Talking to athletes is kind of overrated. I think talking to, you know, if, if we'd been able to talk to, like, coaches or GMs, obviously that would have been awesome. But I think talking to the, the teenagers and, you know, 20-somethings that are trying to get drafted, they're not really shedding any insight onto what they, they can They just need to play it do. safe. Like, you, right. basically, if you're – what I would imagine is these guys are told – you know, be yourself, be cool, mm-hmm. you know, be confident, but just don't say anything dumb. Like you're, right. be, you're basically just playing it safe. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get any kind of scoops from these guys, you know. And that's the case, really. You know, we see in all, all season, not just at the draft combine. I mean, I've been, I've been in post game locker rooms. It's, you know, you just go in, you get your stock quotes, you plug them in, and yeah. that's kind of how it works. And it'd be great if you go off the record, but like we weren't writing stories like on deadline, like about some team and like a guy that they might be targeting. So like to me, the getting the quotes from the players doesn't really help me and tr- sort of mm-hmm. trying to project i mean it was, it was nice to kind of hear which teams they'd, they'd been meeting with i mean that kind of gives you a little bit of insight into where they might possibly go but i mean the you know finding yeah. i'd rather just watch these guys play in a five on five setting and just sort of kind of see how they how they look out there than, than really anything that they could share with me personally i did think it was nice that we didn't like you said we didn't have like a team specific or a player specific agenda you know like you know we were talking to malcolm brogdon and i think it was rick bonnell from the the charlotte observer you know had i think he hit him with you know six or seven questions over a few minutes just all about the hornets so i mean it was cool to you know to see that kind of you know to get that in depth i guess on on one subject or one team but from our perspective i think it was it was nice that we didn't necessarily have a certain answer that we were looking for you were just kind of able to ask more general questions about the guys games but um to wrap up the five on five and we'll talk more about these guys individually but most of the top guys didn't play i mean who who do you think was like the biggest name in the five on five i'm trying to i'm trying to think i mean name wise maybe marcus page obviously not you know draft prospect wise but you know none of the projected i would say what top 10 top 15 guys even were playing definitely not none of the top 15 guys uh you know, check check Diallo probably uh, and Malcolm Brogdon. I would say were probably the two guys that took part in five on five that I could see going in the top twenty. But mm-hmm. other than that, really, I, I didn't really see. I mean, these are guys late first and somewhere in the second round. And uh, honestly, fifty percent of the guys that we saw in the five on five are either going to go back to school or go undrafted. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's. It was very cool to kind of see the guys that did stand out, but you could also see the guys that didn't stand out and really looked out of place and and looked like they just didn't belong in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, that was true. I I think in this situation, and and this was something that Melo Trimble really harped on, and not, you know, not trying to make an excuse or anything. It was just that it's super hard to be thrown together, you know, a day before and go out, and especially as a point guard, 
you know, know where these guys are going to be, not commit turnovers, you know, just, just kind of know each other's games. And I think that was pretty evident. I mean, it was the defense, I thought, especially on Thursday, was impressive. But as impressive as the defense was, I think there was part of it, you know, just these guys just weren't familiar with each other offensively. There wasn't a lot of, you know, they weren't running a lot of plays. It was just kind of a lot of high pick and roll and, and kind of see what happens. Yeah, I obviously that that's you got to factor that in. I definitely think that there are ways where you can stand out in a setting like that. Probably does lend itself to guys who where where defense is a really big part of what they bring to the table because defense plays, you know, no matter how comfortable you are with your teammates. Uh effort I think is is something that really can stand out. Shooting stands out. I mean, if you're you're a good shooter, you're going to knock down shots kind of regardless of who's who's passing you the ball. So I mean, I think there are definitely things you can look for in a setting like this and and uh yeah I should probably just get to some of the players specifically yeah yeah so who are the who are some of the guys I guess to you that you would that you would label winners coming out of this two-day session so <clears throat> Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Virginia senior uh guy that's kind of moving trying to transition to point guard uh very you know intangibles are off the charts with him and not not a guy that's ever gonna you know, not give you effort or, or not a very coachable player. So I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in that. He said, I think he said that he could go anywhere from pick 17 to uh, early second round. I think that sounds, that sounds about right. Based on what I saw, I thought he, you know, in at Virginia really kind of touted as, as one of the better defenders in the country. Obviously a lot of teams are looking for that in a, in a guard someone that could guard point guards and shooting guards, I think, at the next level. And, you know, what he showed kind of running the point, especially Thursday, I think he, on Friday, wasn't as comfortable, wasn't as involved, didn't have as many opportunities. But Thursday really kind of excelled at at kind of playing an up-tempo style and, and getting his teammates involved. I thought he really stood out. I mean, it was a great interview too. I think yeah. that was. I mean, you mentioned the the character. Uh, I mean, that was something that that you know Rick Bonnell was was really harping on. He had said that he had a great great interview with Charlotte, and that that, that obviously would be kind of right in that range where where Brogdon said he's been told he's projected to go. Right. I mean, I think there were probably six or seven guys that I thought impressed in a in a positive fashion. I'm going to be writing about those guys uh, tonight, and then you know, I mean, Chuck Diallo, like I said, Kansas, you know high pedigree guy tested off the charts physically as probably everyone mm-hmm. expected I thought just his ability to show something on offense definitely had to had to turn some heads and you know he's a guy that I think once you kind of fall I mean I could make a case for ch- taking Chuck Diallo over Scalabissier I mean it, I think you're once you start gambling oh, yeah. you get outside that top 10 top 12 of guys that you can confidently I mean if you're taking a guy that high you should be able to confidently say that he could profile as a starter for you down the road once you kind of get out of that range then you should just in my opinion start rolling the dice on guys with with a ton of upside who uh, for whatever reason aren't going to be going that high I think Diallo really kind of checks the box there yeah I think he nice nice pun um I I had read by the end of the week or by the end of the weekend that that he had kind of solidified himself as probably a, a final 10 pick in the first round just based mm-hmm. on on the potential and I think our ex- expectations with him are so low I mean you obviously know about him as a recruit but I mean we were looking at each other when he was playing yesterday and just eating up rebounds I mean he had he had 18 points in Thursday scrimmage and it, it wasn't just garbage points you know it was turnarounds jump hooks you know the stuff that we didn't see at all because he wasn't on the court we I mean we just looked at each other and like how did Kansas keep this guy off the floor yeah and for a guy that big and that that raw I guess he he looked like he had a pretty good stroke on the line as well Mm -hmm. it just hard to really go wrong with a player like that in the second half of a draft especially one like this where I think as long as you sort of have a good player to bet uh, player development staff in place and a good organizational culture at the very least you should be able to turn him into a, a guy that gives you, you positive minutes off the bench uh, playing like he, he could be Bismack Biombo pretty pretty easily it would seem I mean he has the tools already he's probably further along maybe than Biombo was when he came into the league I mean that, that obviously he ended up going probably higher than than he should have I mean I think he could be yeah I mean he could be Brandon Wright he could be I mean there's there's a lot of guys that have carved out long careers with less 
physical talent and similar similar offensive skills. So I think I think he definitely profiles as a guy mm-hmm. that is some teams going to be pretty happy with later in the first round. I think judging just from the scrimmage sessions, Michael Benege from Syracuse was one guy that really stood out as I mean I don't think anybody was dominant in these games by any means, but he he was somebody who certainly didn't struggle a whole lot. I mean, he was he stood out as uh, certainly among the the guard wing crop of guys uh to me who played really well in both games um and 13 points in, in Thursday's game and then followed up um as I lose my spot with 17 uh in Friday's game had two threes I mean he I mean he's a guy that we we'd kind of talked about his shooting form didn't love it it's a little it's a little mechanical kind of holds the ball out away from his body um but I mean it works and this is a guy obviously who's a big time scorer in college like, what is it that's keeping him from maybe being, you know, a fringe first round guy. I think the consensus on Benajay is he's probably a second rounder. Yeah, you know, with I feel like this is always the case with point guards where once you kind of get outside the top 15, it it just takes one team to be like we need a point guard. This is I mean, he's not he's not a true point guard, but I think he's a guy. He played small some small forward, but I think he's a guy that's going to play uh, at one of the two guard spots, and and I think if you're drafting him, I think you could really talk yourself into kind of developing him as as a point guard or at least a guy that does play on the ball quite a bit. And it just really takes one team at that point. I thought you, I think you're right. I think he definitely looked like he belonged, looked like a an NBA player in in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Probably not a starter. I think he'd probably be lucky if he turned into that for you. But I think he could give you. Uh, valuable minutes off the bench obviously offers the ability to play multiple positions guard multiple positions which is what teams are looking for and if you think you can kind of develop that three-point shot with him then I think you have a pretty special player he also started off his interview on Thursday by putting his his Batman full arm Batman tattoos on both arms which one of them he said he had just gotten recently one of them I think was before the year he said he had watched uh the Dark Knight 20 times at least just in this calendar year, so in the last five months, and he said he'd probably seen it well over a hundred times. So, if, and if there's a team out there or a GM out there that really loves Batman, you know, that might be a perfect match. Robert Carter was a guy that really stood out to me. He was he was the leading scorer. You know, obviously you're only playing two games, but he averaged 17 and a half points, uh, tops among everybody that played five on five. We kind of joked about his the way that he stands. His his knees kind of go inward. It's not it's not like a necessarily a very pretty gait as he runs, but he was really effective, especially on Thursday. You know, certainly looked like he belonged. Um, really good strength. The guy who can shoot the three a little bit was a little bit more quiet uh, on Friday, but I think he's a guy that to me is is certainly worth a look. At, in you know, maybe late first, probably in the second. Yeah, I I'm not as in on him. I think there's he's he can definitely fill it up like especially against the people he was playing against in those scrimmages his offensive game I think is more advanced than almost any of the other forwards that were playing so I wasn't really surprised that he was scoring at will he just kind of looks to me like a guy that I don't, I don't like I don't really like that he he looks like a guy that should be strong but I, I didn't think he looked all that strong to me and the the gate really kind of bothers me I think that it's just kind of hard to think of any NBA players that really kind of fit that profile that have been able to make make themselves into quality quality options. I, I don't know. I think you could maybe look at a guy like Paul Millsap as a guy that like is sort of semi you know undersized a little bit at the four for the NBA, but has has a three point shot. But mm-hmm. I think trying to find the next Paul Millsaps. Not a, not a very, I don't think he's the next Paul Millsap. But, I don't why think is he's, Aaron? he's not he's not a playmaker by no. any means. You know, I but mean, that, he can shoot it. He can he can rebound for you, but he's not going mean, to. I think he's, he's not, like I think he's like the version of Paul Millsap that busts. Like I don't I don't okay. think he's I, I I think if I'm picking kind of in the the late first early second, I'd rather I'd rather roll the dice on a guy that at least has a a high defensive mm-hmm. floor and or is it just a really good shooter? I mean I I. Honestly, I liked Jake Lehman, I think, more than I liked Robert Carter. And there's a lot of Maryland representation at the start. Yeah, and and you know, Lehman, I think his measurements really kind of surprised me. Um he he six six nine and, and a quarter. Uh 
that's that's taller than I kind of thought he was. Uh, really in shape, you know, seven percent body fat. I, I, I mean, probably one of the best shooter. Him and him and Kyle Wilcher are probably the the two best shooters there. And you know, I think Layman to me, at least I could kind of envision what his role would be off the bench. Whereas, I wonder if there's, you know, maybe a little like maybe some Adrian Payne, maybe with Robert Carter. Like, I, I don't know. I think I could easily see Robert Carter being out of the league in, in less than two years. If there was a knock on Lehman, like you said, the size was, I think, a pleasant surprise being over 6'9 with shoes. But wingspan was exactly the same as the size. And obviously at 6'9, that's not a huge detriment. But, I mean, he had a smaller wingspan than Chris Dunn, than Ron Baker, than Buddy Heald. So, I mean, that's teams look at that stuff. It's going to be a knock. I mean, I, I still think – I don't think it really affects him a ton either way. I mean, he's he's a fringe guy regardless. I think, and I think he's got the sort of chops, like the aggressiveness, and you know, he he made probably the best hustle play of the, of the two games on a just diving for a ball that that was somebody threw him a bad transition pass, and he laid out to get that and keep it in. And I mean, that's kind of he's going to have to do stuff like that to kind of win between the margins, given what you're talking about with mm-hmm. his wingspan. Not a guy you're ever going to stick on on a other team's really good player, but a guy that you're, you'd stick on their their worst three or four that's on the court and and just try to sort of hide him and hope that he plays good team defense and gives you really good shooting. Mm-hmm. Shidani Onowaku from Louisville was another guy we were really impressed with, especially on Friday. Just kind of a you know, similar to Diallo, really. I mean, in the way that he just kind of rebounded everything and there was some great size the way that they split these teams up was a little bit uneven there was a like a 40 point blowout on Thursday but that team ended up winning on Friday uh, but I mean you got you had guys you know Marcus Lee um trying to think who else was Damian Jones um and then you know Diallo obviously Swanigan I mean there there was never really a, a, a time where you felt Pascal that Siakam Pastel Siakam, yes. Uh, unfortunately, Thon Maker didn't participate in five on five. That would have been very interesting. But it seemed like there was always, at, you know, w- at least one true big man on the floor for each team. You know, so it was nice to be able to see, you know, Marcus Lee go up against, you know, Onuwaku or du- Diallo, whoever it was. And I think that was nice. I mean, just I was really impressed with all the big men. Really, I mean, I, I, Marcus Lee was quiet. I don't know really what we expected from him. I don't think he was really billed as much of a scorer, kind of an energy guy. But I think overall, the big men that did participate in five on five. I don't think anybody really hurt their stock. No, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, you know, Onuwaku. I heard. Uh, I heard a young Dwight Howard comp from someone. Oh, oh yeah, it was Onuwaku. <laughs> he, he gave himself a, a young Dwight Howard comp. So, uh, you know, I mean, you got that to look forward to, which is nice. Um, I he he was really impressive though. Like, and he I. Was. I would give him really, really, really high marks for competitiveness and effort. You know, for just like Dwight, his his ability to to run for a guy that big. Uh, he was definitely getting up and down in a hurry, uh, rebounding defense. You know, kind of doing all the stuff you'd like to see. He made a made a couple jumpers as well. Uh, that's a guy that I think you could you'd feel really good about landing uh, somewhere in the second round. Uh, yeah you're not going to really need to go in the first round to get him I don't think if if he does decide to come out but uh, I'm you know that's that's definitely a big man that I, I think could kind of play you know maybe if everything breaks right he plays like a Steven Adams type of role mm-hmm. where he's getting 25 minutes a game and really really impacting the game on defense so Malcolm Brogdon was a guy I had on my list I think he was I mean he was probably the guy who maybe helped himself the most not that he really had a ton to gain I mean I think he was coming into this he was pretty locked into that range but Isaiah Cousins Oklahoma was a guy that we were both pretty impressed with 6-3 did have a 6-6 wingspan a guy that you talked to for a little bit he said he can guard you know two three positions was a little bit quiet in the interview in the interview sessions you know not that that's not that that's a bad thing but he didn't really open up quite as much as everybody else I mean it was a little bit tough to get a handle on his stock I had had asked him something about you know obviously Oklahoma was a team that Last year, not many people knew about. I mean, nobody really knew who Isaiah Cousins was at the end of 2015. All of a sudden, he's probably the second, second or third best player on a national, you know, national title contending team. And he had mentioned that he hadn't really gotten any NBA feedback until this year. Everybody was coming to watch Buddy Heald, and they started noticing him. Um, but he did say, he's like, I always knew that I was an NBA caliber prospect. It just, you know, nobody had ever really shown me that attention. Is he a guy that you would take a look at at the end of the second round? Yeah, maybe. I think you have to obviously view him 
as a point guard, I think. If if mm-hmm. you if you want to six three, yeah, roll with him. Uh, I thought he showed at times the ability to be a pretty good distributor, and like he he was a guy where there were a lot of good plays, and then there were definitely a handful of plays where you were just kind of shaking your head. Uh, it's a handful of those from everybody. It, yeah, you know, a couple guys physically that really sort of stood out you know if you're just looking at what they did and like the vertical and wingspan and and just agility times and stuff like that i think uh dorian finney smith from florida and and joel ballenboy from from weber state both uh you know finney smith was on my radar ballenboy wasn't because he went to weber state but uh both guys who were were quiet at times during the games but i'd never really made poor plays you know just kind of not not guys that you're ever going to care about really in fantasy but guys that could could probably help an NBA team in some fashion just given their defensive abilities or potential there yeah I don't think we paid too much attention you know to the you know so they have the they have the main court set up with the with the five on five and then off to the side is all the you know, like you mentioned, the lane agility, I mean, the shuttle run. There's no like, point just, to watch that because they're just going to post the numbers. Yeah, like, and I mean, not, honestly, like, it all looks the same. Except, you know? I mean, except you, if you're Nigel Hayes and you knock a cone over on <laughs> your first time. <laughs> we'll get to Nigel. He did not have a great weekend. I, I think he, he's certainly one of the one of the losers, per se, uh, of this weekend. But, yeah, Finney Smith, highest standing vertical, 38-and-a-half-inch standing vertical. That is, that's got to be, like, quadruple, like, my like full running – you know, all out vertical. That that's absolutely ridiculous. Forty one and a half max vertical for him. Kay Felder led the way uh, in terms of max vert at forty four. I think that was the second highest ever. Um, obviously huge for a guy that that was the the smallest player mm-hmm. at the combine. Demetrius Jackson, Sheldon McClellan, um, like I said, Finney Smith, and then Blossom Game were all up there in terms of max vert. Were any did any of these numbers kind of jump out at you? Marcus Page with a thirty nine and a half inch vertical was was one that that kind of surprised me. Yeah, that that was uh that was surprising. Um, Layman was at thirty nine and a half as well. You know, Layman was top five in the uh the shuttle run, which I thought was pretty impressive for a guy his size and kind of with his profile. I mean, Ballin Boy was just off the charts kind of in, in all of these. Uh, I think he'll he'll get drafted it, kind of on the strength of his measurements. Yeah. Uh Demetrius Jackson was, was crazy on, on some of these He's obviously going to be a first rounder. Uh, kind of a bummer. I, you know, sort of a bummer that uh, you know guys like Brandon Ingram and Jamal Murray didn't even, uh, you know, I, we were led to kind of believe that they were going to be there in some capacity, but they didn't. They didn't show up to to mm-hmm. do the measurement parts. We obviously knew uh, Ben Simmons, Dewante Murray, and and Sabonis weren't going to be there also. So those were kind of the five guys missing from from a lot of these these measurables. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it would have been very cool if, if they somehow forced these guys to play five on five. And it was it was great to see you know this these mixture of guys who are projected to go between you know twenty and undrafted. I mean, it, it was cool. There's a lot of big names, but it would have been very very cool to see Buddy Heald go up against Chris Dunn or you know Brandon Ingram go up against Ben Simmons. And obviously there are reasons why these guys don't participate. Um, but you know, I, I just hope it's not really becoming a trend because you had guys even you know, who are projected to go like end of the first round who weren't even, you know, they didn't want to risk anything, I guess, participating in these five on five sessions. Yeah. I mean like a guy like Bryce Johnson, not participating. Yeah. Like what do you have to lose? I I don't lot, lot. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys did not participate who, yeah, we saw Wayne Selden walking around in street clothes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there were, there were definitely some guys who I was kind of confused as to how Mm -hmm. they, they kind of got out of that. But, um, you know, it's it is what it is. I'd I'd love to see I mean, all the top to guys say. have to participate in everything, but unless the NBA is going to make them, I definitely agree with their decisions not to. I, I wonder, you know, would would it make sense for the NBA to to try to enforce some sort of thing where I guess you can't really do that when they're they're not your employees. You know, they're, right. they're, they're people that are. Uh, attempting to be your employees but they don't have yeah. to do something there's no way that would ever run. fly unfortunately um a couple more guys we liked wade baldwin i thought uh he was the guy who interviewed really well um 6 in a quarter wingspan for a guy who's not that tall i think he came in at what six two, six three. 
Um, so that, I mean, that was kind of one of the, the early measurements that came out on Thursday that people were talking about 35 and a half inch standing vert. That was fifth best 38 inch max vert. I think he, he was definitely one of the clear winners from the, the measurables and, you know, agility testing portion of this. Yeah. Uh, him and Zhu Qi from, ah, from yes. China. Yes, Zuki. I, we were led to believe that he was going to be playing too. He was like warming up as if he was going to play, yeah. and then he just he just ditched to go do interviews, and that didn't last very long because I don't think anybody could really <laughs> talk to him. Uh, Four point eight five percent body fat on, wow. on Zuki. Uh, seven, seven feet seven and seven and what? sorry seven seven feet seven inches and three quarters wingspan on him. Uh, nine nine feet four and a half inch standing reach. Uh, 218 pounds, so you kind of get a sense of what a you're dealing. Slimmer guy. What, what you're dealing with there. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm 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 pushing 218. Well, not not really, but I mean, I'm I mean, it's close. And he's got how many feet? Are you the me? next Zuki? <laughs> what is your standing reach? Not nine feet. <laughs> well, I'm six feet, so my standing reach is probably like six five, <laughs> six six, something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Wade Baldwin, he was a guy that we talked to right away on Thursday, said he's met with a bunch of teams. He listed like 12 teams, you know, basically all these guys, it seemed like, had met with Philly. They were kind of the team. I mean, obviously they have so many picks uh, that everybody named, but he said he had met with Milwaukee. That would be interesting to me. I don't I don't want to go too far down the Bucks uh, wormhole, but no. but I, I think as a, we as can a potential do, backup point guard. We can do more kind of, uh, you know, team-specific stuff after the the – lottery order right. kind of comes out because that that's, it is tough that's what i mean that's the day we're all kind of waiting for mm-hmm. right now right I just, it's I a couple just days away i just can't wait until we actually know is the there going to be a game that night they usually don't they usually do it at like halftime or like before i the think game, they do it before before the game yeah so i think it i think I they're think gonna, gonna be one. line it up for that and it kind of depends i guess what happens you probably do get ga- i think you'll probably be able to do game one of the eastern finals tuesday right yeah, the I mean, obviously they're not going to they're Western, not going to play back to back. Right, Western Finals is Monday. Uh, you're going to have yeah, that's enough time for them to wrap that up. Yeah, I mean, I think Finals that actually might be locked in now, right? Yeah. I mean, now that Game Seven is official in, in the Miami Toronto series, yeah. So that I assume they'll do the the draft lottery. I mean, what is it? A half hour? They might stretch it into an hour they, for they, TV purposes. They stretch it into an hour. It is. It is. They don't grueling. even do any kind of the first half hour is just all like Heather Cox walking around interviewing right. people. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah it's it's not great TV. Um, real quickly, a couple other guys we liked, um, Ben Bentel, I mm-hmm. think this is, this is maybe more me just kind of loving this guy. I mean, Big East, no, I like score. him. I like him. Uh, he measured in at six, eight and a quarter in shoes, seven, one and a half wingspan, longest hands of everybody at the combine. You know, if teams really, really factor B- that biggest head, biggest head, I think. Yes. He, he was just <laughs> solid. I mean, this guy was, I mean, he is you know, he was as close to having, I guess, an NBA body, and, and a lot of these guys did. I mean, I guess Caleb Swanigan was the other guy that that stuck out as oh, just yeah. being a just a man. Uh, but Bento, I mean, smooth, like a guy that, I mean, it wouldn't even be crazy for him to like get run at the two at some time in, in the NBA. I mean, he was kind of a a smoother Terrence Jones, I guess, to me. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see where he plays because. I think a team could go either way. A team could take him and be like, "You're you're a power forward, plain and simple. You're just going to be stretch four for us." I don't think that'd be right. Uh, but you know, I I think he could definitely play a lot of three. I think what you're liking in him is that he can switch off on on multiple positions, uh, handles the ball like you said, a really really smooth stroke. I mean, it's it's tough to see like one of the things that really helps when you see these guys in person is you can get a much better uh impression of just what their how how good their jump shot is and a lot of these guys some of these guys really did not impress in that department uh jared utoff i thought his jump shot was just kind of rec league caliber in terms of the rotation he was getting on the ball and the arc he was getting on it mm-hmm. uh but bentil though i mean that that was a re- really smooth jump shot yeah, I, he just to me he just looked like an NBA player. If you know if there is such a, a thing in an event like this, I mean, and all these guys are are obviously you know the, the kind of the cream of the crop, I guess, at their respective schools. But he, you know, the numbers I guess weren't there. He wasn't he wasn't putting up huge points, but he just he just looked like he belonged. That's for sure. But why aren't why are scouts like not higher on him? You know, I mean, like he's like he had the numbers in college. He has the measurables. Uh-huh. You know, just see, it seems like this is a guy that based on look and looking at his production last season should be talked about as maybe more of a, a first round pick as opposed to a mid second rounder. I mean, I've seen him, I've seen him on, 
Yeah, what is, I think Chad Ford might have him in his top 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, we, we should know that he might go back to Providence yet, too. Yeah. He's not officially in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Chad Ford has him at 22. So, okay. I mean, he, he he is getting some love from some places, but I think, I mean, you're right. I have seen him more often than not projected as a, as a second rounder. Uh, it's just once you kind of get out, like, again, once you get outside of that top 15, 16 or so, it's just personal preference you're going to see guys every year we see guys go like in the last 10 picks of the first round you see like half of those picks are guys that almost nobody projected to be first rounders mm-hmm. and it's just because well one team really liked the guy and they i mean at that point well it's who do we see that with rosier going as yeah. high as he did i mean that was that was at 16 i mean mm-hmm. probably even earlier than we're talking about even rj hunter you know both mm-hmm. of those being boston guys larry nance um i mean and a lot of that is that you got you have teams at the end of the lottery that kind of have the flexibility to play with those picks a little bit you know more often than not these are playoff teams teams that aren't looking for somebody who's going to come in and start right away you know you have the luxury of of you know you know who is it Kevon Looney you know going to Golden State last year a guy who like they didn't even know if, if he would be able to play this year coming off that hip injury and you know going to that organization you you there's no pressure you know you just have that that ability to kind of take two or three years in your development and you know I think you know there's some exceptions you know a guy like Brogdon I think if he if he were to go somewhere you know, like, uh, I don't know, San Antonio or something. I mean, he's, that's a guy I think is like, is ready to be, you know, a seventh or eighth man for a decent. You just team. really want him to go to San Antonio. I do. He's, he's the perfect spur. Yeah. He, he really is. He'd fit right in there. He would. Um, um, do you want to talk losers? Yeah. Number one on my list is Udoff. Um, I mean, I don't think he, he wasn't like terrible, terrible. He just didn't, he didn't look as impressive, I guess, as I was expecting. He was another guy that it just didn't, didn't look like the run was, smooth at all like he, he runs on like the back of his on like his heel no, nothing was smooth really no it was just not a good look he wasn't he didn't look fast he he's a guy that i think in most places is projected as like a late first early second type of guy and to me i just didn't see that at no. all like I, I he looks like a guy that's just so you, i mean see this kind of every year with big 10 guys uh you know put up put up really nice numbers in the big 10 where elite athleticism isn't really key to to excelling and you'd also you're able to get shots off against you know competition i mean at at for him at 610 how many times was he ever guarded by anyone that could really affect unless you're playing purdue yeah or deontay (laughs) davis at michigan state like i mean it's it's just so much easier for a guy like that to to put up impressive numbers in in a conference like the big 10 and then once you get into that sort of setting where everybody's as big as you like Mm -hmm. you you start i mean he's settling for like these three pointers i mean like i said his three-point shot would just look awful uh i mean he did hit one or two but i mean it it wasn't uh, a very pretty shot Uh, he made one kind of dirk-esque uh turnaround where his knee was all high and and that was kind of impressive i saw Ainge and Brad Stevens kind of chuckling after that but most of the most of the time though he he definitely looked pretty outmatched Mm -hmm. Nigel Hayes, I think he's he's a guy you know just reading you know there's, reading. There's going to be a trend here. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be Big Ten. Our heavy. first three are our Big Ten. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Hayes, he wasn't bad. He just he just totally blended in. And you know me being a Wisconsin guy, I think I was watching him a little bit more closely. And mm-hmm. it was you know catch on the perimeter, dribble between his legs a couple times, pass it. I mean it he's, was he was very kind of un. He didn't really have like a plan. I think like he just kind of he'd get the ball. I think he I wanted think, to score when he got the ball, yeah, like, like, just to try to like get himself in the game, and he just never could get going. He just wasn't. Yeah, he just couldn't get going. I, I wonder if it was one of those things where maybe if if they'd played for four or five more days, he mm-hmm. might have gotten kind of into the the flow of the the speed of what they were playing at. Well, he was when he was out there. It seemed like he was the fifth option. You know, mm-hmm. not nobody was being you know frozen out or anything like that. But he he came from a situation at Wisconsin where you're mm-hmm. working through him most possessions. You come here and you know when I think when he like I said when he got the ball he felt like he needed to make something happen every time mm-hmm. because he wasn't going to have another opportunity necessarily. Only took two shots on Thursday. We talked to him right after the game. He said, you know, he, he said he definitely wanted to be more aggressive on Wednesday or on Friday. Um, I, I mean, he, he was a great interview as expected, obviously, but the on court production just wasn't there no. he came out on friday only took three shots the only shot he made uh all week was a, a pretty nice you know turnaround fade uh-huh. but you know i i, I mean every guy kind of had a moment like that where, where yeah. they were able to kind of show what 
uh, what they're able to do. But again, only five total shots through two games. The biggest thing for him, though, is he had a 7-3 wingspan, which I did not expect at all. So, I mean, maybe that offset, you know, the quiet Thursday and Friday sessions. But if I had to put money on it now, I'd, I think I would be pretty surprised if he stays in this draft. So I think it's worth pointing out, uh, and it, it's very, very relevant in Hayes' case, that in in a lot of these for a lot of these players, just because they're not projected to go in the first 40 or 50 picks of the NBA draft doesn't necessarily mean that for them personally, the best decision is to go back to college. Like if you're, if you're Nigel Hayes, you know, you have to kind of weigh, well, a, how much do I want to be in college next year? Uh, B like how much realistically can I help my draft stock by going back and, you know, maybe I, maybe I get better. Maybe I don't improve that much at all. And then like, nobody's going to draft me. Uh, guys like Hayes, like they can go play overseas right now for a couple hundred grand a year. They could go play in the D league, the D league. I mean, they, they don't make terrible money, especially if they kind of agree to a, the D I mean, league has gotten a lot better in that regard. Yeah, like in the last couple of years, I can definitely see a case for a guy like Hayes where, you know, just go make your money as a professional basketball player while you're old enough to and young enough to kind of have that be a reality. You can go back, get your degree, and then you can go, you know, get a job mm-hmm. and become an NBA scout. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues you could go if you're Hayes that don't involve going back to school, even if you're probably not going to get drafted in the first 40, 50 picks. Yeah, he was a guy that, that had one of the biggest media scrums, partially on, on Thursday because there was a lot of Milwaukee people there that mm-hmm. they didn't even they didn't show up on Friday. Um, but I, I was able to kind of bully my way through the crowd and sneak in a question. And, and it was about, you know, you know, going back to UW, how tempting is it to look and see, you know, you have your top seven or eight guys from last season all back, you know, guys that you came up with like Koenig and Showalter and Vito. Um, and I kind of expected him to say, you know, it's, it's, it's been tempting, but he, he really was like, you know, it's, you know, it can go both ways right away. He kind of reversed the question was like, you know, look at Michigan state last year, you know, all those guys come back. And they lose in the first round. He's like, just because we, you know, we'll open the season in the top ten, sure, but that doesn't mean we'll finish it there. So he was he wasn't pessimistic necessarily, but he was very mm-hmm. he was very aware that he knows he's not going back to you know a Kentucky team that's just kind of going to breeze through the season. You know, it's, so that was interesting to me. Melo Trimble, like we mentioned, yeah. he was another guy, not impressive on Thursday. He was he was maybe the he had the most struggles I think on Thursday. Turned it around a little bit on Friday, um, kind of. What kind of kind like, of a little bit? Like I, I, he played better on Friday. He the bar was set pretty low. He just I <clears throat> I think I, of, of all the guys, the guy who uh, my opinion changed the most on was Trimble because I think coming into this, I thought of him as a pretty safe uh, like final ten picks of the first round uh, at the very worst, early second round as you know just a very you know definitely a, a backup point guard in the nba probably not ever going to be a starter but you know there's a ton of value in having a competent backup trimble definitely just does not look like that to no. me anymore i mean he just he there are a couple things he does really well he, he's really good at, at shooting three-pointers from like the upper quadrant when they're they're kind of shots he can step into and the, the defender's sagging off he's he's pretty decent in the pick and roll uh, at least at Maryland with when he was playing with teammates that he was comfortable with, but uh, really just kind of v- well below average defender for the position. Yes. Not a guy that can take and make tough shots. Like if he's going to make a jump shot, it's going to have to be something that that's pretty open. Um, just really didn't, didn't look like an NBA player. At I all. thought he was really good creating space, you know, coming around the pick and roll and kind of snaking his way into the lane. And, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't finish, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, he would get around a guy and we saw him, you know, make a couple of nice moves to the basket. Yeah. Just couldn't finish it Jake, off. I mean, there was a three minute stretch on Thursday where he got his, got layups just completely swatted, like yeah. directly off the backboard by not even like elite shot, like Jake Lehman just, just mm-hmm. completely embarrassed him on one. And, uh, yeah, it just he's a guy and you said when you talked to him it just sounded like he kind of knew that he sort of missed his window and not coming he, out last year. Yeah, he was he was a really good interview. He was he had a couple of funny comments, you know, definitely wasn't just giving stock answers, but he was somebody that he was interviewing at the same time as Hayes and everybody flooded to Hayes, so I was kind of able to sneak in and talk to him one-on-one and he I got the impression that he really really wanted to come out this year. Like he was he was not high on on Maryland's prospects basically for next year. 
you know, I kind of, I mm-hmm. kind of get like, so is it, is it tempting to go back and be the man next year, you know, with no Carter, no stone, no layman. And he was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like I, I know our team's <laughs> not going to be that good. Like he, and he, and I asked him like, do you, you know, straight up, like, do you regret not coming out last year? And he took a big sigh and he's just, I promised my mom I would stay in school for two years. I was like, See, that pretty much answered the question. That's one where it's like, Two years, like, yeah, like I'm why? sorry, mom, but like, like that's I, that's awful parenting. Like, either like, like one or four, right? yeah, like, yeah. It really should be one or four. Like, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. gain at all. Like for he, yeah, he just seemed really? down on his luck a little bit, and yeah. I think he kind of knew that he hadn't played well, and and he, he, I, I don't know. I would be surprised if he goes back to Maryland at this point. I think I think he's just kind of somebody who's who's done. You know, I think he. He know he sounded like he knew what he was capable of doing. He sounded like he kind of regretted that he didn't show that necessarily for a lot of last season. But I would be surprised uh, you know, if he goes back. But um, we'll talk about more of these guys once the lottery is set on Tuesday night. We should. Um, are you gonna do a mock draft at all or no? I I can. I mean, no, it, nobody has has commanded me to do it, a mock it'd draft. It'd be. I mean, it'd be fun if we both did one and we could just do a pod kind of yeah. comparing what we what we have. But, yeah, let's uh, do that. I mean, we're gonna we're both gonna do our own, you know, kind of combine observations. Nobody and, commands Nick Whalen around here. Let's just yeah. let's just say that. Well, you know, only <laughs> only sometimes. But uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll put one together. You know, like you said, once the lottery's set, you know, we we we're talking about L.A. We don't even know if they're gonna have a pick. You know, Philly could end up with eighty five first round picks. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, but once that's all set, we'll lay down another pod. Uh, later this week and then talk more about what we saw in Chicago. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.